Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Dave. I'm going to up front just apologize for the crazy loud air conditioner in the background right now. I have to run it. It is literally 100 degrees Fahrenheit outside right now, and I will die if I don't turn on the air conditioner. So, you know me, I love good audio quality, but man, it is so freaking hot out today. The AC's running, so apologies for that. Hopefully it's not brutal in your earbuds and your your fragile little ear canals. I don't know why I said that, but uh, apologies for that. So today, today's podcast episode is going to be all about the Vermont 100 endurance race and my experience this year at the race. If you've been following the podcast and the YouTube channel, you might know I've been gearing up for Vermont. And in my last podcast, you had me all nervous talking about how I'm never going to finish this race and it's going to be terrible. And I was all scared and upset and stressed out. I don't know if I was or not, but I was definitely some of those things. And guess what? I finished the freaking race. I came in uh, in 25 hours and 19 minutes. I crossed the finish line. I got the buckle. It is mind-blowing that this happened. Um, If you haven't seen it yet, go over to the YouTube channel and check out the full video about the race, which I'll I'll post in the show notes of this podcast. Um, That kind of just summarizes all the things that happened during the race. But in this podcast today, I want to dive into like the real nitty-gritty details on how it went mile by mile, what I had, what I wore, the gear I used, how that worked out all the things and try to cover it in one podcast episode that's under an hour long because that's all I really, that's the amount of time I have to to record this. So hopefully I can do it. Before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, I hate saying that, but I keep saying it. Um, I I do want to thank the YouTube members that help support the YouTube channel and and the Patreon members over at patreon.com slash chase the summit. Those folks provide some extra money every month to keep the lights and the microphones going at this YouTube studio and keeping me doing this weird thing I do. It's a lot of fun, and I really appreciate all of the people who help support me along the way. It means a lot to me, so thank you. If you want to help support the cause, help support the YouTube channel and this podcast, check out the link at the bottom of the show notes that says support this show because you can go over to Patreon and donate a couple of bucks each month which goes a long way on my end. So thank you very much. Also, quick shout out to today's sponsor, which is Liquid IV. Liquid IV is a product I personally use a lot and actually used at the Vermont 100 quite a bit. It's a little packet of powder that's a hydration multiplier. It tastes really good. It's got electrolytes. It's got all the things your body wants while you're doing an endurance event like this. And it's low in calories. So I like to alternate between liquid IV and something else that has a little bit more calories, which we'll talk about later in this episode. But if you're interested in liquid IV, I highly suggest you check it out. I actually like this stuff. Check out the link in the show notes down below. That will give you 30% off your first order by using code CHASETHESUMMIT, all one word, at checkout. That's Chase the Summit, no spaces, at checkout at liquidiv.com because it is very good stuff. So check it out. All right. So let's get into business here. On Friday, uh, July 15th, I drove up to Silver Hill at about, it was right after lunchtime. And you're supposed to go to Silver Hill where the starting line of Vermont is to get your bib, drop off your drop bags, and do all the things pre-race 
And then they have like a little barbecue cookout kind of thing for all the runners, which is pretty cool because it's all included in the cost of your registration. You don't have to pay anything extra to eat there. And they actually have free camping at Silver Hill. So if you're a runner, you don't want to get a hotel room or whatever, you can camp in the meadow right by the starting line, which is really pretty, really cool. Not what I did because I'm obnoxious and I require a hotel room with a shower, but a lot of people do camp and props to them because it's free and you're right there at the starting line, which is really cool. So uh, I drove up right after lunchtime. I got there like uh, 3, 3.30. I dropped off dropped off my five drop bags, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then I proceeded to just hang out for a little bit. I talked to some people, got some free swag. They had, um, they had like, uh, some sponsor tables where they had, you know, electrolyte mixes and caffeine pills and all this random stuff. Um, and then I bumped into a few people that I knew, which was pretty cool. Uh, said hi to them, kind of hung around and, and, you know, just, uh, gave high fives and good lucks and, After about an hour, hour and a half, I headed back to my hotel room, and that's where things get really interesting. So previously, before going up to Vermont, I had booked a hotel room at a hotel in Claremont, New Hampshire, which is about 25 minutes away from the starting line. It's a very rural area up there, so finding a hotel room closer than that was really hard. Now, I'm not going to say the name of the hotel but I'll say that they had the name Royal in their their title, like the name of their hotel. And they made it look really nice on the internet. So I was pretty excited to have like a, a, like a rather nice hotel room prior to running the race. Unfortunately, when I got there, the place was a total freaking dump. And I was pretty upset about it because like the neighbor's doors were open and there were like children screaming and like, I felt like I, you know, like a gunshot was going to go off in the background. It was a pretty, like, um, uh, how do I, how do I word this without offending anybody? (laughs) Unsavory part of town, I'll say. And, um, yeah, I just wasn't down with the hotel room. It was pretty gross. You know, the cockroach kind of hotel room. So I asked for, um, I asked to cancel my hotel reservation and the front desk guy was actually pretty rude about it. And I didn't have a great experience getting out of there. Um, so I just left and I took up, took up my argument with hotels.com, which is where I booked the hotel, which was a lot of fun. Anyways. Um, I'm not going to try, I'm trying not to come off as like a snooty, like entitled person who needs a perfect hotel room, but take my word for it. This place was not great. Okay. Like I would have much rather camped in the field with all the other runners than stay at this hotel. And I could have done that for free. So anyways, a quick Google later, I found a much better hotel room, which was walking distance from the hotel that I had previous booked at. And so I got a room there and I was very happy about that room is much cleaner. And the best part about it, they had a hotel, they had like a hotel restaurant that had pretty decent food. So I got into my hotel room, kind of unloaded, and I am kind of a, a crazy person when I when I have a race coming up. I have to like lay out all my stuff on the bed, like drop bag stuff, my my vest and all of the contents of it unloaded. Um, you know, like where's my GoPro going? Like everything, every detail, all of my clothes laid out, my socks, my shoes laid out in great detail on my hotel bed. 
and I'm going through it like I'm ch- I'm taking inventory at a store, making sure I got all the things, make sure making sure I didn't make any mistakes, and just going line by line, making sure I got all of it. And then after that, I went down to the hotel restaurant slash bar, um, and actually got one alcoholic drink, which was you know a lot of people would say is a bad move prior to a race, but I I did that to try to like just kind of chill out a little bit and because I knew I wasn't going to sleep very well uh, before waking up at, at the crack of dawn for this race. With that drink, I also ordered a full-size Chipotle chicken pizza to myself, and I devoured every last bite of that thing with zero remorse <laughs> because I knew how many calories I was going to burn uh, the next day. And I thought it might be good to just load up a little bit Um before the race, which, you know, I think worked out pretty well because I wasn't very hungry in the morning when I woke up. So the next morning, uh, I had to wake up at two 30 in the morning. I had my alarm go off, uh, just to get dressed, get my gear together, double check my craziness one more time, get my shoes on, put the bib on and then head out the door to silver Hill. Funny enough, I was late. I was running behind a little bit. Uh, there was a little bit of um, a detour along the way uh, from Claremont to Silver Hill, which was not great. I was kind of panicking panicking in the car. Um, but I got there. I parked in my car at 3.55 a.m. Now, the race starts at 4 a.m., so I didn't have a whole lot of window time there to mess around. I went straight and checked in at the main tent, uh, gave them my name. They gave me the thumbs up. And then I went out to the starting line where I had like maybe three minutes to spare before everybody starts counting down three, two, one, go. And then it's go time. We're on the Vermont 100 course. I'm saying to myself, holy crap, we're here. I can't believe this is happening. And uh, it was kind of a surreal moment because if you've been following my journey with this race at all, uh, you might know back in 2019, I DNF'd at this race and all of the feelings like flooded back to me of being at the starting line, feeling that vibe, being super excited. And then I started to worry like, oh man, I'm undertrained. This is going to be a terrible day. And you know, all the negative stuff started to come into my brain and I tried to block it out. So that's it. We're on the course. And honestly, the first 10 miles just faded by. At this point, it's dark out. We're all wearing headlamps or waist belts, and uh, the sun hasn't risen yet. And we're just kind of chatting, making conversation with each other, you know, whoever's near you. Um, And I met a lot of people out there, which was super cool, including a couple of um, channel supporters, uh, Dave. Uh, There was a guy named Dave. My name's Dave also, but uh, he's been a longtime channel supporter. And it was cool to actually run with him for like, I think we ran together for like 10 or 15 miles. So it was good to catch up, kind of see what's going on with him. Um, and then I, I spent some time running with some other people I actually knew. Um, and that's when I kind of settled into a pace with a girl named uh, Mary Catherine, I think her name was. I'm probably saying that wrong. But uh, she was kind of run, running a similar pace. I was running kind of like the same as her. And we got into like a conversation about all of our past races and, you know, all of our experiences and things. And it was good to to just have somebody to talk to for a while because the miles started to just click by. So 10 miles in, it was pretty effortless. I didn't feel fatigued at all. And I started to walk very early. This was when I made this huge decision in my brain, 
Like, Dave, you're not going to screw this up again. You're going to start walking. So every hill, even though everybody else was hammering the gas, there were people out there that looked like they were running a 5K. They were running up these hills. I stopped and I said, no, we're going to walk. And I walked every major hill at the beginning of the race right away because that preserved a lot of energy for later in the race, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But this, I was really happy with my pacing at the beginning of the race. So mile 10 goes by. Mile 15, we cross the Taftsville Bridge, which is a really beautiful covered bridge in Vermont. Um, very iconic uh, Vermont 100 monument, and it's great to run through there. And that's about where, where we saw the first horse pass us. And if you're not aware of this race, the Vermont 100 is also, uh, it's a running race on you know for humans, but it's also a horse race for uh, horseback riders to complete the same course on a horse, of course. That was a good rhyme. Nice dad jokes, Dave. Um, but yeah, it was cool to see the horses pass by. Uh, really beautiful to animals, you know. And of course, these ones are in like tip-top shape and super muscular and really amazing looking. Um, so yeah, it's cool to see those come by. So that was mile zero through 15, just kind of clicking by. We're cruising right along. And that's about when we came into... Pretty House Aid Station. That is the first major aid station along the course. Um, this is where crewed runners can have their crew and get stuff from them and whatever. And it's kind of one of the bigger uh, spectator aid station where there's a lot of people around and a lot of energy. And so this is where I was like feeling that fear of missing out because I was running solo. I didn't have a crew or, or pacers or anything. All of these other runners were meeting up with their crew, getting high fives and sitting down in chairs. And um, I just didn't have that camaraderie, but it was okay. I think this actually helped me in the end because I wasn't spending a lot of time in these aid stations. I walked in, I went and got my drop bag. In this particular drop bag, I had some Tailwind, um, some liquid IV, and uh, I think a couple of like granola bars. Nothing crazy. I packed my drop bags very minimal because in the event one went missing or I didn't want to go back and retrieve them after the race. I didn't want to have anything valuable in there, which was smart. And we'll talk about why in a little bit. So I got into pretty house and the food I grabbed was about a handful of watermelon and then like two slices of bacon. These are the things that really struck to me that spoke to me at this point and they went down really well. I felt really good with that choice. We came out of Pretty House, and right away, there's a big downhill after this this uh, aid station. Um, and, you know, you can cruise down there pretty good. So, miles, that Pretty House is at mile 21.5, and then mile 20 through 30, I feel like was super uneventful and just kind of faded by. Nothing really went on, nothing, nothing hurt. I was feeling really good, really strong, just kind of getting in the zone, trying to stay present and really just cruising right through the race. Now, up until this point, I was basically drinking 100% liquid IV in one bottle and then 100% tailwind in my other bottle. And I was just alternating between the two mixes because uh, liquid IV is a lower calorie option. Um, it's also got less sugar in it. I, I would rely on that if I didn't feel like I needed a lot of oomph in my drink. And then if I felt like I was hungry or I needed more calories or anything, I just went for the tailwind because that's got a little bit more oomph to it. And I feel like the system worked out really well. But later on in the race, I had to 
switch over to straight water because I was getting kind of sick of both drinks. It was becoming a little bit too much to, to keep like this really sugary mix coming in for, you know, hours upon hours. It was good to mix in some regular water as well. So, um, at this point, I was also consuming uh, Goo Roctane, so those energy gels. I don't really love Goo as a brand or the the, the flavor of them, but they're free, and I had them on me, so I used those. Um, and I had some caffeinated ones that I actually saved for later in the race, which became clutch, and we'll talk about that later on. But uh, so at this point, we're going through miles 30 to 40, and at this point, I bumped into a guy named John. Now, this guy had completed the Vermont 127 times before, and he was going for his 28th time. Keep in mind, this race is only 32 years old. So this guy has almost run every every year that the Vermont has been available. available. He's almost run it every year, which is really cool. But the one thing that really stood out about this guy that I learned about him, it was I was trying to get some tips and tricks from like a veteran. And I was like, hey, man, what, what do you do when your stomach goes south? Like, how do you recover from that? And I'll never forget this. He said, nothing better than cold milk. I almost threw up. <laughs> this guy's go-to when he's got gut issues during a race is to drink milk. And he was not joking. I thought he was messing around with me, but he was totally not joking. So apparently cold milk helps him get out of a funk. Um, and I was really amazed by that. So moving in to mile 45, I think it's mile 45, is when we come into Camp Ten Bear. This was kind of a special moment for me because back in 2019, this is where I dropped from the race. I got the ride back on the shuttle from Camp Ten Bear to the starting line, to my walk of shame out of there. And to pass this point meant I had you know, ran further than ever before at this race. So it was kind of like a good um, milestone for me to, to cross through. So Camp Ten Bear is a huge aid station and it's run by the Trail Animals Running Club, which is like the Boston local uh, running club. So I knew a lot of the people there. It was great to see uh, tons of people that, that I knew locally, giving me high fives, pep talk saying, what do you need, man? How, you know, how do we get you back out there? It, it honestly felt like I had a crew, even though I was a solar runner. So it was a great aid station to come into lots of people around. And the unique thing about this one aid station camp 10 bear is that it's the only one on the course you pass through twice. So you pass through it at mile 45, I think, or maybe 48. And then you pass through it again at mile 70 later down the road. Um, so the drop bag I left here, I had specifically set up for two drops. So I made it big. I had a bunch of stuff in there. But the one thing that was really clutch was I put some Pringles in there. If you don't know what Pringles are, if you're not from this country, they're like these little salty hat-shaped chips that go in a like a tube. And I put some in this bag. And they were delicious by the time I got to them at mile 48. So... Uh, that was a great aid station and come through again. I was mainly relying on watermelon at this point. It was just going down so smoothly. Um, I didn't want to mess up a good thing. And I started to drink Gatorade in one of my bottles here. I don't know why it just spoke to me and it just 
tasted good. So I had Gatorade in one bottle and then the other bottle was either water or Tailwind as I moved forward. At this point, I also had the aid station workers dump a bunch of ice down my shirt because it was getting pretty warm out at this point. I think we're up to about 85 degrees Fahrenheit, which is not crazy hot, but I was certainly feeling it and having some ice down my shirt helped keep my core cool. It was a huge boost in morale. In the highlights of Camp Ten Bear was walking away with a popsicle, which tasted amazing. It was like those tube pops, freeze pop type things that you kind of squeeze up. And uh, they had these throughout the race. So I ate like three or four of these throughout the entire race. So miles 60 to 70, I was still eating a lot, but I started to notice my stomach felt a little bit funky. And it wasn't like I was sick or going to throw up or something like that. It was really just that I had consumed so many weird foods like bacon, watermelon, you know, uh, goo and energy, energy gels, tailwind, liquid IV, all these things were just compounding. And I felt like I had like my gut full of like grossness. It wasn't a great feeling. I wasn't sick, but I was starting to get nervous that I was going to get sick later in the race. So I started to dial back my consume consumption of like weird foods. And I was mainly focusing on eating watermelon for a while. Another thing I started to eat was like real food. So instead of like a sugary, you know, um, stinger waffle or something like that, some of the aid stations just had like turkey sandwiches, which I started to eat. And for whatever reason, these really went down well. It felt, felt like it settled my stomach a little bit to have some like real substantial food there. And um, that's what I kind of adopted moving forward. Um, that's about when I got to uh, Margar Margaritaville aid station, which was a lot of fun. They had it set up for, as like a Jimmy Buffett aid station. Um, I don't even know where the name come from came come, came from, but they had uh, cheeseburger in paradise playing in the background. They were actually making cheeseburgers on a grill for the runners, and it was a big crude aid station with a lot of people cheering. So it was great to go through there. I actually did have a little bite of a cheeseburger at that aid station to get some real food in me again. Um, but big bummer at Margaritaville. They lost my drop bag, which I was, you know, I was trying to avoid any stress. Um, I feel like stress is a bad thing to carry around with you at an ultra. And so when I found out my, my drop bag was missing, I was like, pull it together, Dave. It's fine. You didn't have anything important in there. This is why you packed the way you did. Because, like I said before, I didn't put anything very valu valuable in my drop bags. It was literally just, you know, a handful of um, liquid IV packets, some tailwind, uh, some uh, granola bars, nothing of value. So I swallowed it. I was like, okay. I spent like 10 minutes looking for it. They basically have them all laid out on a tarp to, to find your drop bag and you have to write your name and bib number on the drop bag. And I just could not find it, which was a huge bummer. I didn't blame anybody. I just was like, all right, this is what it is. But I was super lucky in that somebody I knew this guy, Ryan, who had run a race before with had a bag of tailwind there and he was willing to share with me. So he gave me a big scoop of Tailwind. I was able to fill my bottles back up and get back out on the trail to continue on from mile 70 into the unknown because I haven't run a 100 miler in a long time. The last time I finished one was in 2019. And uh, it was a struggle. So to be running this one 
was like, I felt my, felt like my training wasn't there. I felt like I was like going into this untrained and, and, you know, gonna totally fail. But the day so far was going really well. And I started to notice that I tried not to get too excited because as miles progressed, right, we're at mile 70, 80, I was like, I'm going to finish this thing. But I, I kept suppressing that thought because I had doubt in myself all the way up until I crossed that finish line. Until the second I crossed it, I was doubting myself. I didn't think it was going to happen because I just thought something was going to go wrong. My knee was going to give me an issue. My foot was going to, I was going to roll my ankle. I was going to get sick and throw up or something. But none of that happened. It was like a really surprisingly uneventful race. All right, going back from mile 70 through 100. This is where the race really starts. The nighttime comes in. It got dark out. The headlamp came on. And the race organization is really good about marking the course. They come through with like four-wheel drive trucks going down some pretty gnarly trails. And they hang up glow sticks all along the course. So runners can see like... 50 feet ahead is glow stick and they know which way to run in the dark. This was a huge morale boost for me because you can see how far the next, you can kind of treat it like little milestones. Like every time you cross a glow stick is like one step in the right direction. So I'm going through mile 70, mile 80, and I'm slowing down, man. I was hurting at this point. My feet hurt, my legs hurt, but it was just like that normal level of hurt. It wasn't like anything was wrong. It was just sore, tired because I've been running for 22 hours and just so tired from all of this and wanting to just sit down for a minute. But I kept that fire, that fire inside that I kept, all right, Dave, keep moving, dude. Let's go. So I'd say like the low point for me during this race was probably between miles 65 to 75. I was basically walking that entire time kind of doubting my abilities, kind of thinking there's no chance I can finish this because even though it sounds like I'm close to the end, like you still have a full marathon left before this race is over, which is a lot to think about after you just ran 75 miles. Anyways, at about the 75 mile mark, I ran into a woman and I totally forget her name. Oh man, I don't even, I don't even know her name. I, I learned her entire life story about her husband or boyfriend. Um, her, not both, but the same guy there. And I I remember she was 50 years old. She gave me her whole life story about being a competitive athlete, marathon running. Um, but anyways, sorry, I forget your name, lady. Um, she was super energetic and she kind of gave me a new life because she was like really dragging me along. Like, come on, Dave, we're going to keep going. Like really keeping me motivated. And at a certain point, I don't know why, but like mile 80, right? I start running again and I'm, I'm hammering downhill. I'm running eight, nine minute pace downhill, which is weird for me because I'm historically not a good downhill runner. I'm the guy that like trips and falls all over himself and just can't run downhill. But for whatever reason at this race, I was just hammering the downhill later in, later in the, uh, the race mile 80 through mile 90. I ran with this woman and we were crushing. We were moving really fast. And at this point, I started to notice we're passing people. We're passing people left and right. I mean, between mile 80 and the finish line, 
I probably passed 30 people, maybe more. And we're running at a really fast pace. The downhills, we're shuffling the flats and we're walking the uphills. And then it got to a point where I felt like I was going too fast, too hard, even though we're, we're at like mile 92. Um, I told her like, I can't hang at this pace. And she was like, oh, it's cool. And she kind of took off. So she definitely did really well at this race. I hope she got sub 24 hours. I don't know. Um, but you know, I still kept moving pretty well after she left. Uh, that's about when we came through the Polly's eight station, which is like mile 92. Oh, no, Bills, Bills, mile 88. Um, this is like the dead of night. It's very pitch black out. You're like looking in the distance for your course markers, which are yellow plates. Basically, a, a yellow paper plate is kind of stapled to a tree or to a telephone pole. And that's what you're looking for to, to move forward. Um, and so, um, you know, you're using your headlamp now. It's pitch black out. There's zero light pollution up there because you're really in the middle of nowhere. It's very rural. And when you turn your headlamp off, it's just like black. It's like you closed your eyes. Um, but the uh, the stars looked really cool because with no light pollution, everything kind of was a lot more contrasty. Um, so I, anyways, I'm still moving pretty well after Bill's. And we're just kind of moving along at a slower pace, but still kind of shuffling along. Um, and I'm still passing people at this point. And that's when we get into the last 10 miles, which was a big milestone for me. I'm very analytical in my brain and the ability to count down from 10 to one is a big morale boost. So again, I start running. And the funny thing is, if you look at my Strava, um, activity, you can see my heart rate go way up by mile 10 to 100, because I was running the ups and the downs. I basically told myself, leave nothing in the tanks. I wanted to cross that, cross that finish line and just collapse on the ground with zero energy left. I want to leave it all on the course. So I was running uphill, downhill, flats, as much as I could, and really moving pretty well at this point. Uh, I remember thinking to myself, I was actually saying out loud the words fast, smooth, fast, smooth, fast, just over and over again. And then I started to say fast, smooth, and quiet. And quiet was when I was landing my feet on the ground, I wanted it to be as quiet as possible. And not because of the noise, but because if you're quiet when you land your feet, you're not going to fatigue your feet too much. And my feet were sore as heck. So I was focusing on being fast, smooth, and quiet. And I just kept out loud. I'm saying this out loud as I'm running. Fast, smooth, quiet. Fast, smooth, quiet. And the miles are just ticking away. That's about when I finally got some cell phone service. And I texted my wife, mile 90. And my wife, um, this whole time, she was planning on driving up and meeting me at the finish line. She, I didn't know this. She was going to surprise me at the finish line and try to like, you know, meet me crossing the finish line. But the last time I spoke to her, I barely had cell phone service was like mile 60. And I was like, Hey, listen, there's probably like 10 hours left of this because I'm moving so slow. But then I picked up my pace later in the race and I was actually running a lot. So I, instead of 10 hours, it only took me like six hours or, or five hours or something. So I was way faster than she had anticipated. And she was actually sleeping when I texted her um, that she, that I was going much quicker. 
So when she woke up, she jumped in her car as, f- as fast as she could and started driving. But it was too late at that point because she was two and a half hours away. And I was only like an hour away from the finish line. So long story short, I approached the finish line. And the way they do this at Vermont is they have like a series of signs before the finish line, like one mile left, half mile left. You're almost there. And I got to say, those signs felt like they were freaking three miles apart. (laughs) I I was like, is this really one mile? Because it felt like forever because I was giving all of my energy. I was hammering the gas like, Dave, just go, go run and get out there and, and just leave nothing left in the tanks. So that last mile, it wasn't fast. It was probably a 12 minute mile, but it took all of my energy to muster up that 12 minute mile and right up, right up until the finish line. I felt bad because I passed like two more people and we were like, you know, a hundred yards from the finish line and I was passing people, but you have to do what you have to do. And I was motivated and I was, you know, just hammering the gas. So I crossed the finish line. As I approach, they have this like orange gateway. It's like um, the sponsor is Base Nutrition. And they have this orange like canvas fence that goes around the finish line. And I couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, is this actually happening? I'm actually here. So I, I ran up, crossed the finish line, hit stop on my watch, touched the ground. And uh, the race director is there holding my buckle so if you're not from America, a big thing here is you get a belt buckle when you finish an ultra marathon. I don't know if you do that in other parts of the world, but that's kind of our thing here. She had, she handed me the buckle, which was just so it's a memory I will never forget. She said, congratulations. And she also handed me um, a really cool cup. It's like a steel uh, mug kind of thing that says Vermont 100 solo division. That is because I ran solo with no crew or or pacer. And I crossed the finish line in 25 hours in 19 minutes, which was, you know, it's not first place. I think that landed me like, um, 75th or something, which is, you know, whatever out of 250 people or whatever. Uh, you know what? I am so proud of that time. Uh, there's nothing that takes away from this. It's way faster than I even thought I'd be capable of running it. I was honestly thinking I'd come in in like 28 hours and be happy with that. So to cross the finish line close to 25 hours is a huge deal to me. But I got to be honest, I do feel like I could do it in sub 24 if I was had a better base fitness. Now I just want to talk about some of the things I think went right and some of the things that I think I could have done better. Uh, things that went right. Hydration, I was on point. I was drinking a lot. A lot of electrolytes. Nutrition. I feel like I was on point there too. Um, I ate the right foods. I didn't get a stomach ache. The popsicles were delicious. It went well. Pacing. I think I did that right too. I don't want to like toot my own horn, but I feel like I was smart. I ran slow. I didn't overdo it early on in the race and I left energy for later later on. So that was great. Um, Things that could have been better. I'm just going to say it. My base fitness training has not been well. I've been only mustering up 20 or 30 mile weeks recently because we've got craziness going on in my life. I've got, we're moving our house. We've got a baby. We've got four kids and a dog. 
it's a lot. My career has been crazy. I've been traveling, you know, there's a lot going on. So, um, you know, that is what it is. I can't change that. And I knew that going into this race. And that's why I think the pacing played such a big role in it. If I, if I went out, um, thinking I was going to run sub 24 and just pacing for that, I think I would have blew up a lot earlier. It wouldn't have gone the way it did. But like I said, I do think if I had a, a better base fitness level coming into this, I probably could have broke 24 hours. So moving forward, if I ever do this again, I don't know if I will. Um, I think, you know, based on the fitness level, based on my experience at this year's race, I'm pretty confident I could get under 24 hours. Okay, now I want to talk about some of the gear I was wearing and how that went uh, for this race. I chose to wear Ultra Mont Blanc trail running shoes, which is funny because if you watch my review video about those shoes, I gave them kind of a negative review. But recently I've been wearing them a lot for mellow trail runs on roads or uh, gravel roads and things like that. They tend to work really well for me. And if you don't know this course at Vermont, it's basically entirely that kind of trail. It's like a double wide or Jeep road or horse kind of trail. So it's not like super technical with rocks and roots and stuff. It's really a graded road. So I'm really happy with my choice. I walked away from that race with zero feet issues, no like falling off toenails or blisters or anything. Uh, very happy with my shoes. They worked out really well. Next up, let's talk what I wore. I wore a Lululemon running shirt, which was uneventful. I didn't get a chafe, worked out pretty well. And I wore a pair of Hoka Seeker shorts. Now, these shorts are really nice. They have like a, um, you know, like the naked band that has like pockets all around it. <clears throat> they have that, but it's built right into the shorts. And then there's a big phone pocket in the back. Throughout this entire race, these shorts worked phenomenally well. But at mile 80, I ended up getting a lot of chafing. That's right, folks. Everyone's favorite topic, chafing. So um, right around the crotchal region, I'll say that, to put it delicately, um, I ended up getting a lot of chafe. So I found myself adding a lot of uh, lubricant or body glide. I had it in my vest, fortunately. So I was adding that on the go as I was moving to try to reduce the friction there. But by the end of the race, the damage was done. By the time I got into the shower at the end of the day, oh boy, that was an exhilarating shower because uh, the chafe really fired up. Fortunately, it was minimal. Uh, a couple of days later, I didn't really feel it anymore and it kind of went away. So that was good. Next up, let's talk about uh, my watch. I wore the Garmin 955. It worked out incredibly well. And I actually have a whole video coming up about my experience wearing that watch. Um, it did everything I needed it to. And when I crossed, crossed the finish line, after 25 hours, I still had 53% left on the battery, which is way more than I thought I would. And the final piece of gear, well, not final, but the one more piece of gear that worked out really well was the Chase the Summit trucker hat. I wore it the entire race. And if you want one of your own, check out the link in the description or the, the show notes down below at the merch store. They are available. I'm not going to lie. It is my favorite hat. It worked out really well. No chafe, super comfortable, protects you from the sun, um, pr protected me from some deer flies, which were kind of brutal. So yeah, quick plug there. 
And then the final piece I want to talk about is the Solomid Advanced Skin 12 set vest, which I wore. And again, this worked out incredibly well. Super comfortable, well-fitting, stretchy, carried everything without an issue, and zero regrets for going with that. Very happy with that choice. So yeah, now I just want to qu quickly talk about recovery. Um, right now we are seven days out from the Vermont 100 endurance race. It is the following Saturday, uh, July 23rd. The race itself was on July 16th. Uh, so I've had seven days of recovery. Honestly, the first two days, I did nothing. <laughs> I was pretty beat up. I was pretty wrecked. Everything was pretty sore. What I did was I wore the recovery boots I have from Bob and Brad. They're like those air-filled kinds that kind of deflate and inflate over and over again to stimulate blood flow. I don't know if they actually do anything, but they felt good to wear, so I wore them. And I feel like they did something. I also tried to use a massage gun, but I also felt like I used it too early because my calves were destroyed. They, they basically felt like an open wound. And when I put a massage gun on them, I was like cringing in pain. It was extremely painful. So I had to just stop doing that. Listen to my body because it shouldn't be that painful to hit it with a massage gun. So um, I tried the massage gun the first couple of days. Didn't really work out. On day three, I was able to use the massage gun a little bit on my feet. I still couldn't do it on my calves. Day four, I was able to use it on my calves and my feet. Um, and I was still continuing to use the um, uh, recovery boots. And during this time, zero running. I, I did not run a mile. I was also not really walking that much because my day job is, uh, you know, a desk job, cubicle life. So I was just basically kind of being easy on myself and taking some time to recover. I think the hardest thing to get, get over was the sleep because I was awake for like 30 hours. Um, getting right, getting back into a normal sleep cycle took a few days, but now I feel pretty much back to normal. <clears throat> now, um, yesterday, day six of recovery, I was able to go for a three mile run. And honestly, I feel like it stimulated a lot of recovery. I don't know what it was about it. Maybe just loosening up the joints, getting the blood flow going. But that three-mile easy road run really made me feel a lot better. This morning on day seven when I woke up, I felt almost 100% again, like almost back to normal. Definitely still can feel a little soreness in my calves and my quads, but generally feeling pretty good. So today I went for a six-mile trail run, and that went really well. Um, definitely not 100% like way back to normal, but, uh, feeling, you know, pretty close to it in, I'm just so thankful that my body can still do these things and recover. Um, because I, I didn't think, you know, a week out I'd be running six miles. So I'm thankful to my body for, uh, for allowing me to do these things. It's, uh, it's still working at age 38. It's still ticking along and yeah, uh, that's where I'm at with recovery. So yeah, that's really it for this podcast episode. I really threw a lot at you at, in, during this, so I apologize for my ramblings. I feel like I did this for me as well as, you know, for you to listen to, because I think in the future, if I ever come back to this race, re-listening to this podcast, my account of it might be helpful. Maybe. I don't know. 
That's really all I've got for this podcast episode. Thanks for following along in my ramblings. And this is going to be the last time I talk about Vermont for a while. I hope you enjoyed it. And next episode, we'll get back into the regular podcast scheduling. Uh, I'll be talking more about fitness tech news and all that stuff. I'll be having some more guests come on in the future. So if you're looking forward to that, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button or whatever you do on your podcast platform of choice. That's all I've got for you today. It is so hot in this room right now. It's like 100 degrees and I've got the AC running this whole time. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I got to go now. Thanks for listening in and uh, I'll see you next time. Bye.